And when we look at Scripture, especially this chapter, what you're seeing is a God of both. It's not 50-50. You know, if you're in a marriage today, you should never say marriage is 50-50. It's actually 100-100 with each other serving each other. So in other words, I am serving Audrey 100% and she's serving me 100%. So my interest is actually her interest and her interest is my interest. In the same way, God is 100% just, truth, and he's 100% love, which is grace. In the corporate world, they say things like candor and care. You know, you got to have a little candor, in other words, get to the point, but you got to be careful how you say it. You got to have a mix of both. You know, if our lives and families and work and churches are to be marked by the character and posture of Jesus, our lives should be full of two primary components. And it's this, grace and truth. You can't pick either or. In fact, if you're here today, uh, you heard um, Phil talk about the journey track. And in the journey track, part of the journey track, we do a personality profile assessment. Your DISC profile, D-I-S-C. And we were all laughing on Wednesday night, who was a D and the I and the S and the C, you know. And everybody was admitting it, all the Ds were trying to put their hands down, you know. <laughs> and every, all the S's were trying to be like, hey, this is too fast, can we slow down? What's the fill in the blank, you know. They're the steady people, you know. All the C's are the cautious people, very cautious people, you know. And all the I's are the influential people. They're kind of the relational, you know. They want to influence people. And if they don't talk, if they can't talk, then that's a problem, you know. Because they're like, no one wants to hear what I'm saying. What they're trying to say is they want to influence people. But it's interesting to me that in these meetings, we talk about personality And sometimes we take our personality and put it on top of truth and grace. Have you noticed that? Like sometimes when you ask a question, you're not even asking a question to the Lord. You're trying to get an answer based on how you look at things and who your personality is. So if you like uh, to operate in a very quiet place, my wife loves quiet. She's a homebody. You know, she loves the, uh, yeah, James does too. You know, she gets energy from like just, if I take the kids and just leave the house, even if it's 30 minutes, I'll come back and she's cleaning the home. It's not because she wants to, but it's because she got so much energy from the, from the quietness that she starts cleaning. It's so weird you know, for someone like me, who basically, like Ari is very much like me, my first daughter, and we like to party. Like, we're always like, hey, what's next? And what's next? Like, after the work day yesterday, we went out to uh, Bill and Tony's house, and we were out there, and we were, they started square dancing, and then I'm like, okay, I'm tired now. You know? <laughs> I was the judge for the chili cook-off and all that fun stuff, you know? And we're ready to go. And then when it comes time to sleep, it's like we pass out, you know? So a lot of times I go to God, and maybe you do this too, and I tell God to make requests according to my personality. But God doesn't operate according to our personality. He operates according to truth and grace. That's how he operates. He's not a respecter of personality before who he is. Because God is truth and grace. Truth without grace is wrong. 
And I don't put this on the screen. I want you to lean into what I'm saying. Truth without grace is wrong. And here's why. Truth without grace is mean-spirited. This is why maybe you know some people that are always mean. Always saying the truth, but they're just saying it the wrong way. (laughs) They're saying the right thing the wrong way. Truth without grace beats up on people. Like, relax, you know? Truth without grace lacks love. Like, do you really love me? Truth without grace repels people away from Jesus, who we serve, by the way. Truth without uh, grace tends to try to scare the hell out of people, literally. Truth without grace ceases to be gospel because the gospel is what? Good news. It's not just news. It's good news. We don't have a lot of those today. It's always bad. Turn on any channel. It's always bad. Grace without truth is also wrong. Oh, I know. All you grace people were like smiling there for a second. This is good preaching, pastor. Amen. I was like, wait till I get to you. (laughs) Grace without truth lacks honesty. You're not real with people. You're not being honest. You're keeping the problem going. Grace without truth chooses not to confront sin in our lives. And we notice that, well, I'll do better next time. Or they'll do better next time. Really, it doesn't matter. You know, that person's conduct, you know, especially in church, I'm going to be honest, it's very easy for me not to care as your pastor. And let things slide. But the Holy Spirit always reminds me I'm supposed to be a shepherd. And it ain't fun sometimes, right? Grace without truth is being nice at the expense of being real. Oh, boy. It's like, hey, how's it going? Good. I don't really like you. But hey, yeah. How's it going? (laughs) Grace without truth, we know this, waters down the gospel. That's why when we preach the Word of God here at New Song Church, we do both. We'll always talk about the truth, and we'll always talk about grace, because that's who God is, 100% of both. Grace without truth eventually ceases to be the gospel because it ceases to point people towards what? The way, the truth, and the life. So sometimes we just skip that. Notice that Jesus says the way, the truth, and the life. He wasn't saying a way, a truth, and a life. He was saying it's the only way. And I know you've heard preachers before go at this and say, we're only, you know, uh, we're the only, uh, Jesus is the only way and he is. But again, remember the truth and, so you got to say it in grace. We can't just be picketing at every corner saying you're going to go to H-E-L-L and tell people that you're not going to make it without grace. And you can't be like, look, everybody's going to go in. I don't know people's problems. And we let humanism get into our relationship with God and say, because I can't, but that feeling that I have with my sister and my brother, it's too overwhelming. How can a God of love judge people? you got to have both. So we've seen 
John says in John chapter 1, we have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He comes from the Father full of grace and truth. I'm convinced when we live full of truth and grace, both of those, we live in biblical, spiritual integrity. And God is pleased with that integrity. Now, those two blanks are the same. I purposely put it in there because I want us to know this is what spiritual integrity is. This is what biblical uh, character means, that you're operating in the character of Jesus that's full of truth and grace. So many of us think that integrity means telling on people. Integrity means putting your nose into other people's business. I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm just going to look straight up, right? <laughs> integrity means that you should go ahead and leave uh, a situation that's bad and not worry about the people that's in there. Integrity is both, and we're called to do both. He seeks people, God says, who put him first above everything and everyone else in their life. 2 Samuel 22 says this, To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. Have you ever noticed that verse before? Where God is matching our desire to be like him. Where he seeks people. He seeks us when we choose to be like him. Isn't that interesting? 1 Chronicles 29, 17 says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyfully. Notice that one of the rewards of integrity is pleasing the heart of God. One of the rewards of integrity is pleasing the heart of God. There's we show our love to God through our obedience. You know, there's something uh, I learned as soon as I had kids a few years ago. There's nothing that makes me happier than making eye contact with my girls when they're trying and they're obeying what I'm saying. I mean, that's the bottom line. When they actually listen to me, and they just do it, and they look at me, I'm like, let's go to... Walmart or Target, and let's get some toys. There's nothing that makes me more excited. Why? Because there's something about pleasing my human heart, right, that makes me excited and reward my children. How much more does God want to reward us with that sort of intensity, with that sort of intimacy? I often think that sometimes we uh, let ourselves get to a place in our relationship with God where we're more interested in having church than learning more about God. And what I mean by that is I'd rather be worshiping Him, right? I'd rather be doing this than actually getting to know Him. And I have to catch myself sometimes. You know, do I like church or do I like Jesus? I mean, because the truth is, guys, if there are other places we can find friends. Did you know that? 
If you don't, there is. You know, there's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and then also all day Sunday. In fact, on the way here this morning, I saw a group of young men getting to go downtown on Shaker, getting on the, uh, the rail there, and they were just throwing a football, wearing Browns jerseys on. They're not in church. It looked like they're having a good time, just like we were a second ago or turn and greet. But there's a difference when it comes to integrity, wanting to obey God for who he is. That's integrity. Our integrity does not earn our salvation, amen? But it does bring God's approval. Did you know that? It's not part of our salvation. In other words, if you go to church and you said the sinner's prayer and you believe in God, you may make it to heaven. But if you're wanting God's approval today, just like me and Aria, there's a difference. So many of us are living a relationship, walking a relationship with God without his approval because we're not living in integrity with him. When you're walking in integrity with him, there's a sense of approval from the Father's heart about the direction, about the place that you need to go. This is why in the midst of craziness, Christians live in a place that is within the Father's heart for them. That's why in the craziness of life, Christians always operate at another level. That's why you don't have to freak out if you're here today and you're Christian. You're like, look, pastor, how do I not freak out every time, everything, every time something happens? This is how. Psalm 26, 1 to 4 says, Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to the truth. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. Psalm 26, 1 to 4. Notice he goes ahead and says, cross-examine me. He is asking the Lord, David is, to come and say, cross-examine me. I am living with integrity. Imagine going to the Lord and saying, look, look at my life. Look what I'm trying to do for you. Cross-examine my heart. Cross-examine my life and check out my motives. And he's so confident in his integrity that he knows the Lord's pleased with him. Even before, it's not the other way around. God, help me not to get angry. God, help me to forget this crazy person. God, help me to do better at this. It's the opposite. God, I'm living with integrity, and I want to go towards who you are with full confidence of who you are. What an amazing testimony. Can you imagine that new song? We have about 100, now we got 100, about 148.6 is our average, okay, over the last 90 days. So we're growing a little bit, praise God, okay? But here's, here's the deal. What if 150 of us just lived in that manner, full of integrity, full from a place of saying, we are so confident that we're living for the Lord that we go towards Him and say, God, Check me out. I'm cool. I'm game. We're, we're it. We're, we have this relationship. I'm full of integrity. I mean, I think, I'm telling you, we would not have a church issue to deal with. I really do believe it. 
We'll just be all in sync, you know? If we need something here, it's probably going to happen. If we need this person to minister to someone, probably going to happen. But in church, it's just not that way. And I have to be honest, as a pastor, I believe it's because of a lack of integrity. It is. And it's because we're broken people, I understand. I understand we're broken people. But the truth is this. We have to pursue God first in integrity. Then the church stuff happens. This is why it's so important for us as we grow and build good foundations as a church. We have to be people of integrity. Even if we grew and we weren't people of integrity, it's going to fail. It's only one moment from crashing. We have to be people of integrity. You know, Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah reminds us that God's promises are yes and amen. That's exactly what it is. Nehemiah says, look, all these people, all the people of Israel, they're crazy and disobedient, and then you forgave them, and you helped them out. They did what's right every now and then, but then they're crazy and disobeyed you, and you made them go around the desert for 40 years, and then you helped them finally get to where they needed to go. We talked about that a little bit. He says, yes and amen. In other words, God is full of truth and grace. In other words, God's saying, yes, you messed up. (laughs) Yes, you're human, and you keep doing this. Why can't you get this right? But he says, amen, so be it. That's who we serve, a great God who's loving, who cherishes us, who disciplines us, and who does not abandon us. Verse 7 to 8 in chapter 9 and 11 to 12 This is what Nehemiah reminds us. The first is this, God does not abandon his people. Verse seven says this, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You know that nothing we do can ever attain the righteousness of God except Jesus himself. Do you know that? God forgives us not because he's human and he understands us, which he does, because we know Jesus was fully man and fully God. God forgives us because he is righteous. That's what he is. So he is love. So he's going to love us through. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurl their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. I think about, when I was preparing this message, I think about people that you can look back, us in this room, you can look back in your life and say, man, I wasn't living for God then and he took care of me. How is it? Because he is righteous. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night, by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people. Can you imagine if you're a foreign nation at night 
You got a pillar, these people walking around, they got a pillar of fire at night. During the day, they got cloud. Everywhere else is sunny, <laughs> except where they're walking. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to mess with them. I would not want to mess with them, not because of them, but because of the cloud and the fire. Who is it that's giving them this? Oftentimes, we walk around because we're thinking that Christians need to be more influential through their integrity. But the truth is, we are full of integrity because of who we serve. And our lives need to have the evidence of who we serve. See, if they were just walking through the desert, I'll be honest, they probably would have been killed, robbed. They didn't have a lot of swords or horses. They were just people walking around with sheep and lamb and and food. Why were they not attacked? Because of who God is. See, God is a righteous God. Psalm 23, 4, it's famous, right? If I ask anybody here in the room, I'm sure you guys would know this because, I mean, we got people tattooing this stuff on their bodies, you know, because they love this chapter so much. It says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? For you are close beside me. It's not that we're saying, okay, God, you said no to fear. What's that scripture? I shouldn't fear. Okay, Psalm 23. Just keep saying it, sister. Keep saying it. Just keep praying that over you. Keep saying Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. It's not the thing that you're saying. It's who God is. Your rod and your staff. Did you notice that? So CJ, this morning, she had a uh, little cane with her. And uh, she used the cane. She had the surgery. And so she's recovering. Praise God for that. But you notice it said rod and staff. Staff to kind of help you, but rod to what? Poke you into place. You've been around sheep and shepherds. That's what they do. They do and both, truth and grace. That's what God does. Even in our darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because dad's with me. Abba father's with me. The good Father's with me. Jesus is with me. It's all good. And yo, okay, God, yeah, I'm going through the valley and you're trying to correct some things in my life, but I'm going to go ahead and you want me to go this way, but I want to go to, oh, okay, got it. I got it. I'll stay right here. So many of us, we're like, okay, God's with me. What? God's with me, right? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Life's better. I have more joy. And every time he says, not here, you're like, no, God, I don't want your discipline. See, we need to realize that God doesn't abandon his people, but he also doesn't abandon us in his discipline in our lives. He wants us to be people that recognize that he has kept his promise because he's righteous, but at the same time, it's truth and grace, discipline and love, discipline and grace. Number two, God guides and instructs his people. Verse 13 to 16 says this, You came down on Mount Sinai, you spoke to them from heaven, you gave them regulations and law that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take 
uh, possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hands to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. You know, it's amazing when it comes to instruction. Have you ever tried to build something without instruction? Most guys love to do this. You know, yesterday uh, we had, we bought at the church, bought a new shop vac to clean up all the dust and the debris because we didn't have a shop vac. And uh, the first thing, you know, us, there's three guys helping open up this uh, shop vac thing. And I'm telling you, we bust that thing open. We flipped it over. We started putting hoses in the wrong place. And we're trying to get the wheels and the thing. And we're t- using the wrong hammer. Why? Because we're not using the instructions. <laughs> and who knows if that thing's missing a piece, to be honest, because we took the instruction and threw it in the box. <laughs> so much of life is so like that. We believe God's guiding us. And this is what Nehemiah is saying this about the people of Israel. He was saying that, look, they were just rolling the dice. Have you ever rolled the dice in your relationship with God? It's like, it's a 50-50 chance I might go ahead and spend time with Jesus this week. I don't know, I might just go ahead and just leave him and take a vacation from God. You're just rolling the dice. Well, it's a 50-50 chance I'm going to get something from today's message. We'll see if he's preachy enough or teachy enough or funny enough or angry enough or he's getting in my business or not enough, right? We just roll the dice because God guides. In other words, he tells us what to do and who to be, but he also gives us instructions on that journey. So it's not that he just gives you this plan. Clan, you're going to change the world. Well, bless God. I like that. But you're going to have to go through this stuff. Oh, oh gosh, really, God? Really? Can I not use the instructions and get right to changing the world? No. There's a step-by-step process. Nehemiah, in verse 19 and 21, he gives us a third concept here. God's provision is greater than your perception. It stuck out to me a lot. God's provision is greater than your perception of what's happening. Verse 19 says this, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By, the day, the, by day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not hold your manna from their mouth. The the bread, manna means bread, food. And you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Amen. Audrey would be saying right now. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. You know, sometimes when we go through life, we forget the goodness of God because we perceive everything else that's going wrong 
and we let go of everything that's happened good. There are so many great things that God's doing in our lives. You want to know one, and you've heard this before, you woke up today. You know, so many of us forget the fact that we get to pay for a mortgage. We get to live in a place that you have social security. Now, if you're my age, you're wondering if you're still going to be there. But, yeah, you know, most of us, you know what I'm saying? You get to do this. You get to have health insurance. You, you get to wake up in the morning and call your kids or say hello. Or when you walk in home, the little ones are running at you. You, you get to have a family. You get to live in the greatest country in the world. You get to be in a city like Cleveland. You get to be blessed to go to a grocery store and buy groceries and cook in your house and go to a restaurant. You can't do these things in other countries. Did you know that? I I could not work. My dad is not allowed to own land in Kuwait. He's been there since 1979 because he's not native to Kuwait. We get to have this thing, a car, a nice car with air conditioning, sometimes better than our homes and heating better than our homes. I hit the heat button on my seat today and I was driving. I forgot about it. And all of a sudden, the good feeling from behind me as I was driving like, oh, yeah, heated seats. See, it's all perception the way we look at things. And we have to understand that God's provision is greater than our perception. Even if you live in a 1,200-square-foot home, you have God's provision. Even if you live in a 12,000-square-foot home, you have God's provision. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget that hardship, and I want you to lean into this, hardship and difficulties, and write this down if you can, come Through the hand of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't say come from. Come through the hand of God. In other words, he knows your hardship. When you're a follower of Jesus, he knows. So Abba, Father, I want to do what you want me to do with this. I want to take the next step that you want me to take. I want to be more like you because I know that you know my pain. This is the difference when we think about uh, stewardship. Because when we think about stewardship, the, the truth is this. God's plan for us, right? Our entire life is to steward what he's given us. And I'm not talking about money. Everyone relax. It's always, you know, always get to that place where it's like, oh, he's talking about money. In fact, our ushers are coming down the aisle. We're taking a special offering this morning. Empty your pockets out. I'm just kidding. It's never going to happen. A new song. Right? But stewardship is more than anything that we think about when it comes to finances. It does include that. But I'm telling you, if you learn how to steward your life, finances is so easy. Because the truth, anybody have enough money ever? I mean, come on, guys. Let's be honest. 
we never have enough money. And the more we make, the more we probably end up giving to the government anyway. <laughs> I recently have been trying, it's a little rabbit trail, recently I've been trying to, to check out the percentages like of the difference of making 40 or 60 or 60 and 120 or 150 and 200 and seeing like maybe you should just settle, you know, because there's no use trying to get a raise. Maybe if you really think about it, if you get a little bit more raise, you might actually lose more money in taxes and you end up making less. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> stewardship. Someone said, sure. No, you have not. (laughs) Thank you for being so kind to your pastor, you know. (laughs) The fourth concept here that Nehemiah shares is God's forgiveness supersedes your disobedience. God's forgiveness supersedes your disobedience. Verse 29 says, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them, verse 31, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. You know, Sometimes we have to also understand that he disciplines us through grace, love, and abounding love. Sometimes it's not always this like big old rod. Sometimes it's love. Don't take advantage of that love because that love can be something that's the first time that you need to listen. In fact, I tell my six-year-old all the time, you listen, if you're honest, the first time there's no punishments. None. There's no reward. Because <laughs> a couple of times she's like, okay, what do I get now? I'm like, no. You were being honest about something wrong you did. You know, with God, we have to recognize that sometimes discipline is through grace and love and abounding love. You know, I woke up about three years ago. I worked out. I went and played some basketball. And I took a really cold shower, a hot shower, and a cold shower again, and um, it was really cold in the house because we love keeping it cold in Texas. We were there, so we'd be like, Andre would be like, turning that down, and the fan was going, and we had a ranch-style house, and so the fans were real close to you, and I went to sleep. Did, you know, didn't uh, use a towel on my hair or anything like that. I went to sleep, and I fell asleep. The next morning, I woke up. I could not move my neck. I had rye neck. Uh, I think they call it torticollis or something like that in the medical term. What that is, is like, like a muscle in your neck gets stuck. And what had happened was I'd gone to sleep. It was too cold. And I'd worked out so hard that basically the cold and the temperature in my body and lack of water basically made my neck stuck. And so you talk about a weird feeling because it, it looked like something's going on, but it looked like I was just messing with people. You know what I mean? It looked like it was, it was kind of like, are you looking at me weird? <laughs> kind of a wry neck, which was even weird because I'm like, look, I got to go to work. I got stuff to do. I got to get ready for the weekend. And so I go to the chiropractor, and he tells me what it is, and amazing uh, guy. 
And he was a teacher, professor, I mean, it was incredible. But he tells me, I got Rynek, and it's going to take some time, you know, uh, to get off, you know, to come off. And I think about this verse a lot that Nehemiah is saying, they were stiff-necked. What happens when, I, when you're stiff-necked? When, you're, when, you ha- when I had a Rynek, this is how I walked. I can still feel the pinch in my, in my shoulder because I haven't fully recovered from it, right? What happens is you can't see it all. You notice that? Like you have to turn your whole body to see. You can't just turn around and look, keeping this posture. That's what was happening with the people of Israel. Yeah, they were stiff-necked. They were stubborn people. They were very prideful people. Some of us know this race, and you're like, oh, yeah, they are. They're very prideful people. My uh, home country in India, very prideful people, Indians. It may be all funny, and let's go eat Indian curry, but they're very prideful people, right? We have to take a posture with the Lord that says we're not stiff-necked. That if he asks us to turn, we can turn. If he asks us to go this way, that we can't. That we're not going to give the sovereign God reasons as to why we shouldn't. He disciplines us through grace and love, just like that chiropractor did for me, you know. Put those magnets on my neck and electromagnetic therapy, and he was going, he was pretty much giving me free massage, by the way. The next thing you know, he you know, cracked it a little bit, and he started, it's not your bones, it's your muscle. He did a muscle therapy on me. I did three days in a row, and my neck started to be like, okay, all right, that's what God does. It's slow and steady, and it's through love and grace. That's what he does. And the last is this. God's blessing, Nehemiah says, is waiting on your agreement to his plan. God's blessing is waiting on your agreement to his plan. But we see, but see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land. You gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. What was happening here is Nehemiah brought it back to his current day and said, look, all that happened, God, you forgave them through grace and love, and you had to be truthful And now we're under the kingdom of Persia and everything we own is theirs. But, check this out in verse 38. Everybody in the the people of Israel, Nehemiah, says this one thing. In view of all this, I like that. You know, when I think about my life, in view of all my life (laughs) and what God has done in all of our lives, we're going to make this agreement, this binding agreement, and we're going to put it in writing. And our leaders and our Levites and our priests are fixing their seals to it. They were going a different direction. And they were saying, we're going all in. God, you've been faithful to us. We've been disobedient and obedient. We've lost all of it that you gave us. 
And yet now you're rebuilding this wall, Nehemiah is saying. You're rebuilding our people. You're giving us favor again. It's time to go ahead and agree in unity as to what God is doing. This is the key. If you want fresh wind in your life, if you want fresh fire in your life, you know what it takes? Agreeing to what God is doing next. If you live in the past, it's kind of like this statement. In view of all this, some of us will say, well, I ain't going to live for God. (laughs) In view of all this craziness, I'm just going to run away. In view of all this stuff, I don't know if I really love Jesus anymore. No, we got to do the opposite. In view of all this stuff, we see a faithful God, a God that blesses us, a God that's full of mercy. That's why we ought to rebuild with truth and grace. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace and your truth, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to live a new day with new miracles in store, both small and big. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that your goodness goes before us. Thank you, God, that you do not abandon us. So Lord, I pray right now, through your name, would you come and minister to us with this message that you do not abandon us, but you are about truth and grace. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Thank you for Nehemiah, God, and all that he's teaching us. Lord, and we know that it comes from you, but I pray and I thank you, God, for faithful men and women. Lord, I pray for each person here today. So many stories. So many things happening in our lives. So many things that people know about and don't know about. But you are so near to us. You are with us. You go before us. Every hardship, God, you know about. You're not unaware. Help us to be children of who you are, recognizing that you are a good father. If you're here today and you're far from God, maybe you've been attending church, as I mentioned, but you sense the presence of God today, and you're far from God today, I want you to know that God is for you. He's not against you. He's not giving up on you. Heard it said before that if it takes a thousand steps to get to God, God will take 999. And all you need to do is take one step. So would you take that step today? Would you make a commitment to follow Jesus today? Would you make a recommitment, maybe, of saying, God, I used to live for you. Now I will live for you starting today again. God can use you. God's not through with you. God's not finished with you. He believes in you, and he believes what he said to you. God wants to minister to you today. Would you let him? Would you open up your heart today if you're far from him? And would you allow him to come into your heart? And to change it from the inside out and give you a hope and a future and a purpose. Thank you, Father.